When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Collectors Club with Bryce, Michael, and Ivy. I know a story of high strangeness or two. <laughs> Let's do this. Hello, beautiful Club Scouts of all timelines. Welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, <laughs> Riley Bray. Everyone's Woo! talking with their hands Woo! today because yeah, we're know. in the same room again. We can see each other <laughs> yeah. in the clubhouse. I can gesture back it's and nice. forth. It's yeah. fun. I'm not just staring at uh, lines on a on a laptop screen. Yeah, this is great, man. We're in the clubhouse. Yeah. And it feels mm. good. It's been a little light on guests this month, uh, and I apologize because... Uh, we've just been excited to get back together over at Riley's house and yeah. hang out together, yeah, frankly. Doing, yeah. This is the way to do it, man. We're having fun again and being together, and uh, and I'm so glad that that's happening. Yeah, I hope hope you guys are enjoying the BCC boy time, too. And, and guess what? Uh, a monumental moment is coming to an end. BCC Jet Ski Summer... And it's done today. Wow. It's the finale. The grand finale. The grand, we did it. We did it. We did it, guys. We did it. We shaver laked it. Yeah. We yeah. met some mermaids. Uh-huh. We had some wine. We sang some songs. Oh. We got a thousand five star reviews. We got a thousand that was all five things star reviews. Thank, thank you to you guys. Never man. forget. Um, we don't know what happened between Bryce and Tate the Jet Ski Mermaid or Riley and Tate the Jet Ski Mermaid. Uh, so I guess that ending will we'll have to wait for another day. Uh, but we have we have a doozy, yeah, a real days of a subject to get to. I mean, uh, this is today. the way to end uh, jet ski summer. So I, yeah. I'm so pleased, guys. We're going to Atlantis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pack your bag, your maritime <laughs> bags, because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. And, uh, I think we're gonna need a bigger boat, you guys. Okay, this is a uh, this is this is one of those that like, as I was researching and writing this topic, I was like, oh fuck this, oh, I'm done. No. <laughs> I'm done. Oh, really? I'm it's done. Th- I was like, I was like, I'm into it. Now I'm like overwhelmed, oh, and yeah. it's just. just so it's a lot. much stuff out there, but we'll, we'll get gonna into cut, it. We're going to cut through the... We're going to uh, cut through something. Oh, I, some I think we are. Yeah. I think we are. Yeah. Um, we also have some cool BCC news and a Jet Ski Summer L file that we got in last what? minute from a listener cool. uh, to get to. This is a very power-packed episode. As it so, should be. So look, let's get to the clubhouse keeping. Let's get it out of the way. And I want to say something. If you tend to skip through the section... Don't. Yeah. Because we have some very important announcements. This isn't a regular clubhouse keeping thing. Okay. You've been called out. Stay here. And listen, 
to the person who gave us a three-star review because of our clubhouse keeping running a little too long. <laughs> I had a feeling that you'd you bring this up. You should have waited a couple weeks because things are about to change, okay? Yeah. I already gave myself that note, all right? You just got to imagine Bigfoot <laughs> swiffering the clubhouse, yeah. and it'll yeah. help you get through it. Yeah, yeah. Listen, visualization. We got a we got a clubhouse to run, all right? We got lights that we got to keep on around here. Uh, but listen, this is this is not so much about plugs, but some important announcements. First and foremost, you guys, our Club Scouts nominated us for an award. No way. The very first award that BCC's ever been nominated for. We've been nominated for Best Cryptozoology Podcast by Paranormality Magazine. Great. For their Paranormal Podcast Awards. Guys, please Love those guys. vote for us at paranormalitymag.com. Voting ends in just a few short days on September 11th, so you got to do it now. I want an award. That Please. stuff's important to me. Yeah, we need validation. <laughs> you want Desperately. one or you want one? I want one. <laughs> There's a link in our bio on our socials, Epic Foot Collectors Club on Instagram, Epic Foot Pod. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes of this episode. Just head over to paranorm- paranormalitymag.com. Yes. And, and also, Somewhere in the Skies is up for an award. That's vote what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, vote uh, for our friends. Our friends Lizard People. Caitlin show uh, you got to vote for that uh, and of course uh, uh, Derek Hayes' show Monster uh, Monsterland Monsters podcast no, no Monsters, uh, among, Monsters us. among Us yeah so vote for all those thanks guys uh, and thanks for the nomination guess what a new era of BCC is dawning as we approach our fifth anniversary in October we are in a partnership with our new network Wood Elf Media uh, and uh, we're gearing up. It's all systems go. We're going to have some improvements to the format, some some fun, some brand new guests, and a brand new merch shop going up soon. So if you aren't following us on Instagram or Twitter, it's the time uh, to do so, to stay tuned for some exciting announcements. Next week, we will be taking a week off, but we have something very fun planned every day next week. Guys, every single day, not counting Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, if everything goes according to plan, we will be re-releasing six of our favorite episodes in something that we're calling BCC Classics Week. Uh, And we're going to have new intros to all these episodes, so a little new insight behind the scenes on each one. Uh, We wanted to give new listeners to the show a little buffet, a smattering of the type of tastes. Mm. uh, A poo-poo platter. It's a paranormal charcuterie. Mm -hmm. Exactly, of things that we do here at BCC and showcase some of our favorite conversations and topics. That's going on the song title. I think you can (laughs) paranormal charcuterie it's a little pc for all of you guys so uh (laughs) we'll see you after this episode we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode so enjoy bcc classics weeks all right let's get into it bryce yeah we have uh a jet ski oh wait actually we have one last order i want yeah i want to remind everyone uh to follow rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Thank you, Riley. And if you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we might read your review on the air, much like this one. Topper414 writes, A bit of all right. <laughs> the show has finesse and style. I do love listening to a bunch of lunatics talk about Bigfoot. I feel right at home. 
Thank you for putting forth the effort and allowing me to listen to regulated rubbish that interests regurgitated. me. Regurgitated. Oh, regurgitated. <laughs> That's important. That's even better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> regurgitated because it's like this is thinly, I think this is a thinly veiled There's a little um, bit of a criticism. slight in yeah. this one. Yeah, it's a little like bit it. of a like slap that. in the face. Hey, yeah. listen, we've always said we're just a couple of armchair cryptozoologists here. Yeah, so. yeah we'll regurgitate rubbish all day long. Yeah, yeah. The only <laughs> original stuff is yes, Riley's you, music. You guys are like the baby birds and then we just regurgitate <laughs> yeah. the rubbish into Spinning your ear holes. high strangeness into your little baby beaks. Yeah. Anyways, the show is great. Five stars. Thanks, Topper414. Love it. Good we review. appreciate it. All right, Bryce. Yeah. We got a last minute Jet Ski Summer L file that I caught. And, you know, we couldn't wait till our next L Files episode to read this one because it, it pertains to the spirit of the summer. So Yeah, I'm intrigued. Um, why don't you read this L file? F- Here I go. For us. Listener story on a jet ski. Hi, Bigfoot boys and guests. That's you, Nova. I have the perfect story for jet ski summer. I grew up on Lake Huron in the 90s. I was a super cool teenager and spent a good amount of time on the jet ski. One beautiful sunny day, my best friend and I were on the jet ski, and the two neighbor boys were on another jet ski. Guys, so many jet skis in this letter already. This is great. This is what we're here for. This day... They were not many. There was not many waves, which means the water was crystal clear. We had ridden the jet skis north a few miles to putter above our favorite shipwreck. Side note: This is a beautiful wooden schooner shipwreck in only about 12 feet of water. Oh. On the way home, we were taking turns jumping the wake of each other's jet skis. Sick. I did that. Super sick. While goofing around, my friend and I flew off the jet ski. First order of business was checking that our bikini bottoms were still on properly. Once we sorted out the bathing suit situation... Bryce, we... did you write this letter? No, no, no. <laughs> we this sw- some BCC fanfic of yours? <laughs> jet ski fanfic? Let me, let me move on. Here we go. We swam back to our jet ski. Looking down in the water as we swam, we saw something. Below us, a sea serpent. Whoa. It was about 12 feet long and looked like a giant snake sleeping on the bottom of the lake. A lifelong cryptid enthusiast, I immediately got incredibly frightened. I tried to make sense of it and explain it away in my head. Maybe it was a mangled tree branch. I kept my eyes on it as I swam quickly to the jet ski. As I neared the jet ski, it lifted its head and watched us. As we scrambled back onto the jet ski, both of us were uncharacteristically silent. Neither of us mentioned it until we were both back safely on the jet ski. We were too afraid to hang out and watch the sea monster. And that's the story of how I mooned a sea serpent. Nice. Ah, Chef's kiss. After spending most of my childhood looking for Bigfoot out the car window and looking for a great Lake Nessie, I was so disappointed at myself for being so afraid when I finally found a cryptid. Here's a better description. The sea serpent was about 15 feet long, muddy brown in color, and about as big around as a dinner plate. And it's at its widest part. It had a snake-like face, no pronounced snout. As it moved, we could see its muscles ripple. Ripple, you guys. Mm. Thank you for your great podcast, and thank you for your jet ski summer. I would pay for an additional tier of Patreon where you guys perform covers. I cried tears of joy listening to Kokomo. I mean, yes, dumb. I mean, we'll we'll do more covers for the ultra terrestrial. I mean, yeah, tier. yeah. If you guys have requests over there on Patreon for the ultra terrestrial tier of some you covers, let, you just let Riley know through cameo. That was from Amy. Thank you, Amy. Amy. Kisses back to Amy. you. Mwah. Great Chef's story. Kisses. 
Yeah. Great use of the phrase jet ski multiple times. I really appreciate it. Anytime you had a choice to just say it, you said jet ski. (laughs) I appreciate that. Guys. Lake Chiron. Yeah, guess what? You know what? Hmm. She might have seen something because I, after reading this letter, I did a little Googling, did a quick Googs, and I found something called... The Great Lynx Water Monster of Lake Huron. That's what Amy saw. Um, yep. The Ojibwe legends say that there's a giant reptile or serpent creature with large horns that... Ro- Sorry, everyone, I'm reading this from uh, from 99WFMK.com. You need not apologize. Uh, that <laughs> rules the waters of Lake Huron. They call it Mishubeshu which means great lynx, and it dwells in an underwater den at the mouth of the Serpent River. Shut it down. There are many tales of this creature, and if you visit the area, you wouldn't have any problem finding some old-timers to tell you about there and others' experiences with this creature. Uh, You can read a lot more about the monster at Township of the North Shore by clicking here. Okay, but there's precedent for this. There you go. There you go. Um, so Amy it's possible did move to sea serpent. You yeah, saw I mean, Mishibeshu. She's seeing the face and like the the musculature trippy, and stuff. Man. It's not just a stick in a lake. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. seen sticks in lakes. Yeah, right, right. You know, this is like if the uh, Hook Island monster that we covered on the other side uh, last week or a couple weeks ago was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you reminiscent know? of that for sure. But check it out. Do a little research, Amy. Get back to us. I'm interested if if you if you thought it had any horns. We talked about that this yeah. summer too. How a lot of these sea serpents have horns for some weird reason. Back, you beast, with your devil horns in the name of Christ. All right, Riley, get ready because uh, Bryce and I have some fresh BCC news. That was our best one. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. best one in, in years. The same and that's room. why we're back in the clubhouse. That's right. People. Um, this is just a quick nibble of news, but uh, NASA recorded, this is on uh, the Washington Post, I'm looking at it on CNN, um, NASA recorded audio of what they say a black hole sounds like. I sent this to Riley, because immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever wondered what a black hole sounds like? New audio released by NASA reveals... The sound created by the cosmic phenomena, Dr. Michio, Michio Kakao, mm. professor, we know him from TV, professor of theoretical physics at City University of New York, uh, uh, joined CNN to discuss. But um, I'm going to play this to you from the Washington Post. Yeah, drop that track. Oh, that's metal. Super. So creepy too. I want to make love to that. Yeah, I was telling <laughs> Michael when he sent it to me. I I actually prefer black holes earlier work. I found it less, <laughs> less commercial. <laughs> Things a little derivative, but you know, I commend it. I preferred your stuff like five eon billion years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you were gonna be like, what does an ancient uh, tone like hum sound yeah. like? Like a Godlike, yeah. old godlike. Uh, well, you the know they say void. those those yeah. old Tibetan monks when they're chanting, those are the sounds of the universe. Perhaps they're, you know, imitating what they think in their mind is the sound of a black we hole. We should start oh, like that. chanting black hole tones and see what happens. Yeah, you guys want to start a doom metal band? Yeah, oh, yes. I mean we have three bands already. Let's start oh, one. We gotta oh, have oh a God. doom band. Um. Anyway, I thought that was cool. That's if you really want to check cool. out the article, put it in the show so notes cool. of this episode. I just thought we gotta listen to this. Um. Cool. All right, Bryce. What do you got for us over there? This Let's is a big, kind it. of a big week for some <clears throat> some news. Yeah, I know, man. We got a lot of news. Uh, motherboard, which I like very 
very much, reports, Congress admits UFOs not man-made, says threats are increasing exponentially. Oh, shit, if that doesn't catch your attention. The new budget for America's intelligence services directs the Pentagon to focus its UFO investigation on those objects that it can't identify, says Matthew, Matthew Galt. After years of revelations about strange lights in the sky... First-hand reports from Navy pilots about UFOs and governmental investigations. Congress seems to have admitted something startling in print. It doesn't believe all UFOs are man-made. Buried deep in a report that's an addendum to the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year of 23, a budget that governs America's clandestine services, Congress made two startling claims. First is that, quote, shut this fucking ad. Uh, end quote <laughs> cross-domain transmedium threats to the united states national security are expanding exponentially hold on cross-domain cross domain, yeah. transmedium yeah okay. threats so cdtt's damn CDTTs. i don't know exactly what that means i gotta look into that but it sounds like as we've known and talked about in the past ufos are interested in military installations bases and personnel and it sounds like the ticker is is heating up over here um also, the second, it wants to distinguish between UFOs that are human in origin, <laughs> okay, drones, and those that are not, quote, temporary non-attributed objects or those that are positively identified as man-made after analysis. I feel like they're trying to like take away the UFO linguistics from... Yeah. They're trying well, to they like are. strip They've away... They've been doing that for a couple mm -hmm. years. Yeah, Cause, I cause, know. Because UFO... It's a classic move. I mean, truly UFO just means, as we all know, unidentified flying objects. That could be... But it means that more mean than that now. No. It, well, it did. Because mm. we've all agreed that UFO is a flying saucer. Right. But I think what they're trying to do is be like... Well, we can't call UFOs flying saucers because yeah, sometimes it. it's just a bird that you can't identify right. or a this drone. sounds just like fucking word soup to me. Well, uh, that's, a, that's definitely a thing to like is sort of like create a word soup around an idea yeah, or a topic totally. to kind of like fracture it. And Let's yeah, finish absolutely. the sentence, though. It's important yeah. uh, that the, these positively identified as man-made after analysis will be passed to appropriate offices and should not be considered under the definition as unidentified aerospace undersea uh, by the way, bing, 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 undersea is undersea also in there. phenomena, mm -hmm. um, the document states. The admission is stunning chiefly because as more information about the U.S. government's study of UFOs has become public, many politicians have stopped just short of claiming that the unidentified objects were extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional in origin. Here's a cross-dimensional, uh, cross-domain transmedium threat. Here's the definition mm -hmm. uh, from the Pentagon is something that can move from water to air to space in ways Ooh, we don't understand. I love that. So the transmedium, the medium is water, air, space. Do you know right. what can do that? Jet skis. Thoughts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Explain. My thoughts underwater right now, dude. <laughs> I like now it. my thoughts in outer space. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm at the clubhouse. Got yeah. it. Great. All right. Cool. You're a transmedium thought being. And Pretty I'm here for it. I mean, this is cool. It's We're really getting cool. closer and closer to being like... It's incredible. We don't yeah. know what some of this shit is. That's no. like that's the important first step is to be like, we don't know what this is. Well, and John Tenney, he dismisses a lot of stuff, but he's interested in a lot of stuff. And he was interested in this undersea UFO thing, this USO, mm -hmm. uh, unidentified submersible object. I like this idea of transmedium things because I believe, you know, if these crafts 
are what they appear to be. They can move through water, through air, through space, just Absolutely. like in Flight of the Navigator. Yeah, I mean, where if you <laughs> if you can travel, yeah, also a great precedent to yeah. set Flight yeah. of the Navigator. Yeah. So clearly, that's yeah. how it works. Guys, but yeah, if you're traveling all, through we space, we had all the answers in '86. <laughs> upper atmosphere, of course, you're going to hang out in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And only where makes else would you go? Sense. Well, cool. I love this article. I, I like cool I stuff. like the breadcrumb feed that's coming from. Uh, uh, from the media sources about what's taking place in the UFO world. Yep, yep, yep. It's unfortunate that, like, in order to get funding for it in Congress, they have to wrap it up as a threat. Mm, Otherwise, right. they're not going to sp- they're not going to raise and, money to study yep. it. Well, yeah. it is a threat. If there's something flying above your nuclear uh, silo and that you don't know what it is and can't control it, that's a threat. No, I get it, but also it's a shame that we can't do it just for fun. Oh yeah. Well, that's what Space Force is. Space Force <laughs> yeah. is just for fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just for the fun Space uniforms, Force. really. But just for fun. We can make bubble helmets. And... <laughs> just for fun. Um, cool. Our, all right. Here's another uh, piece of news from uh, Vice. dot uh, com. A medieval map has revealed the location of a lost Atlantis. Mm. Quote unquote. Study says mm. the lost kingdom. Of can- and boy, I'm gonna screw this Gaelic hard, and I am. I'm. These are my. These are my. I feel bad for these her, are my. <laughs> these are. This is, I don't know how to speak Gaelic or Celtic, so I apologize. And these are my people. Screw uh, it away. This might be Welsh. Also, the Canterbury Gwaelod in Wales is said to have sunk beneath the waves, and now researchers may have identified it. For centuries, rumors have circulated about ancient kingdom, an ancient kingdom called Canterbury Gwaelod. Or Gwaelud that once existed in Wales Cardigan Bay hmm. before it sank beneath the waves to become the basis for a legendary Welsh Atlantis. The tales of this lost city have shifted over the years, with some saying that a maiden neglected to stop a well from overflowing over the lands. That's right, guys. Oh, sure. Blame uh, a woman. Sure. Yeah. Blame a woman. Did I leave the oven on? You left the well on? <laughs> While later tales blame a drunken gatekeeper who failed to oversee the dikes. Hmm. Legend has it that the bells of the Sunken Kingdom's church can still be heard on quiet evenings. Love that. Now a pair of researchers present new evidence that two islands did once exist in the bay based on analysis of a medieval map, folkloric accounts, field studies, and geological surveys. Led by Simon Haslett, Honorary Professor of Physical Geography at Swansea University in Wales, the work demonstrates that the existence of the Lost Islands is considered plausible and offers a possible insight into the post-glacial coastal evolution of Cardigan Bay according to a study published in Atlantic Geoscience. This study investigates historical sources alongside geological and bathymetric evidence and proposes a model of post-glacial coastal evolution that provides an explanation for the lost islands and a hypothetical framework for future research. Haslett and co-author David Willis, uh, Jesus Professor Celtic, uh, of Celtic at the University of Oxford wrote in the study, literary evidence and folklore traditions provide support that in Cardigan Bay, the Cardigan Bay is associated with the lost lowland of Cantrare Gwaelod. Um, very cool. I'm going to put this in the in the show notes as well so you guys can read mm. the rest of this article. Mm. But I wanted to talk about this because it sets up perfectly the context for what we're getting into today. And the takeaways here that we're going to get into when we start talking about Atlantis is this idea of taking folklore and all this stuff, and then pairing it up with geological science well, and, and post-glacial yeah. uh, climate changes and looking at 
Is it possible that a fabled sunken kingdom could actually have been scientifically plausible? And in this case, uh, locally speaking, in, in Wales, it might be true. Well, and and the truth might me... be said for uh, this, the same might be said for Atlantis. Sure. And you know, this isn't the first time an article has come out like that for the last 150 so years. Archaeologists, oceanographers have, you know, broken ground on undersea. Uh, uh, you know anomalies and said could this be atlantis so rum hum hum drum we've heard this before and i don't have a problem with it because we're going to tell you why it's not about where it is or where it sank are you part giant and and, and we're going to let you know why in a minute i can't wait to rum, know hum, why go, rum go. hum hum drum is that what you said <laughs> that's, that's right yeah five, 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 five. So, that's a good catchphrase um, yeah this is this is interesting stuff i mean it sounds like a sunken village to me yeah it's more than just a village it's an island for sure and we'll talk about it that maybe this earth has more stories like that to uh to reveal maybe maybe there are you know lost civilizations and 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 continents uh hundreds and thousands of feet beneath the sea floor we really don't know a lot about what's below that have you have you guys been following the news uh sad news in europe they're having such a really bad drought right now yeah and a lot of rivers are you know uh low mm-hmm. and they're they're You're talking fi- about the dinosaur tracks well they found dinosaur tracks shipwrecks and they're dinosaurs. finding so all this stuff they're finding yeah. just that's, like not that deep underwater. That's hundred. That's just hundreds of feet. Imagine miles down. Yeah. If that was unearthed, you yeah. Know, who knows what's there? Sure. Well, and all the ages the Earth has been through. That's right. I we mean, they have know, mapped the ocean floors. Who scientists? Yeah. Graham Hancock even says that. And he. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He likes to. <laughs> no, I know he's done great work on exploring. We're going to uh, talk about him. Yes. Uh, before, so at, per our tradition, that's a B, that's yeah. BCC news, everybody. Um. We're going to get into the the meat of it now, uh, as we've segued so so effortlessly. Um, <laughs> we've been we doing always, this for five years. Yeah, we always like to ask. Oh God, <laughs> we always like to ask Riley when we're doing some of these bigger topics. What do you know about Atlantis? Yeah, what do you know going in? I would say the majority of what I know is just from that intro to that one Donovan song. <laughs> I know don't even, what's the I'm, Donovan? I don't, you don't, don't know, know the Donovan old. song no. Atlantis? Wait, oh, Donovan is old. It's from the sixties. Oh, I want to hear it. I'm not oh, that old, guys. Can you, give, can you yeah, sing give us a little, little bar? Give us a little bar. A little sample. Well, so it's like a voiceover in the beginning, right? And he's like, he's like, the continent of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood <laughs> in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores. Those beautiful sailors journeyed to the South and the North Americans with ease. And their ships with painted sails. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's pretty that's good. Cool. Yeah. That's pretty good. I, I'm embarrassed. I'm sure if I heard it, I'd you guys, know this it. Is like a, he was like hanging out with John Lennon. This is like All a right, classic. Guys. You should remix that. With it's, a, it's a banger of a song. When it finally drops, people that you, you oh, know shit. what I'm talking about. Look, we all know you're the cool one, Riley. It's fine. Well, you don't. We're gonna all sit down and put on it. I have it on vinyl right over there, next to the new vintage fan I bought for the studio. Break. We're gonna hear that. (laughs) Listen to it. All right, but yeah, I mean, like cursory, right? Like it's like a. It's like a city that sunk, and maybe like you know, it's the it. root of Egypt More than or just something. Just a city again, yeah. a continent, mm. the continent of Atlantis. It's a continent, yes. Um, okay, well, but let's, yeah, enlighten me. Great, we'll, lay it on we'll, me. We'll do that right after this break. We'll be right back with this week's story of high strangeness, Atlantis. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you just need to listen to this yeah, song. Yeah, this is pretty, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. 
What a banger, though, right? Wow, dude. Yeah, wow. Awesome. I, I do encourage everyone. I don't want to say stop the podcast. And <laughs> no, stop what to, you're doing yeah, and, and go Google listen that to track. That go back. Google give it Donovan Atlantis to get into the mood. Yeah. It's, oh, wait, no. Is it going to tip our bit? I mean, uh, that's all you really need. And we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I learned everything I yeah, need to know. All, honestly, that's, that, that's all you need to know. It's pretty close. All right. Let's get into story. More of a subject. Yeah, for sure. We're having a mm-hmm. little uh, crypto history lesson for you today, everybody. Yep. Atlantis. Countless fathoms beneath the sea, the most colorful coronation of all time takes place. For Prince Namor, the mighty Submariner, has finally found his long-lost undersea kingdom. And here, among breathtaking pomp and pageantry, he once again dons his royal crown as he is acclaimed... Namor the first, Prince of Atlantis, Emperor of the Deep, Lord of the Seven Seas, and Supreme Commander of the Undersea Legions. Good Stan Lee. Excelsior! Yeah, solid. These words, written by Stan Lee, opened 1963's Fantastic Four Annual One from Marvel Comics, which Stan wrote alongside his famous artist and and superhero co-creator, Jack Kirby. The double-page spread of this 72-power-packed page issue features Namor the Submariner, a matinee-idol-modeled model, green Speedo-wearing, water-breathing super-being sporting a golden crown and red cape in his undersea palace, taking his place on a glittering seashell throne lined with sculpted undersea creatures. He raises a triumphant fist towards a congregation of pointy-eared, blue-skinned Atlantean merpeople clad in what can only be described as retro-futuristic fish armor, standing beneath a large sea serpent who watches over the proceedings with a contented look on its face. Cool. It's pretty badass. (laughs) Even though it's printed in the simple four-color comic book palette of the era, Kirby's illustration immediately tells you everything you need to know about the fabled undersea civilization of Atlantis. Its glory is on full display in wonderful pop art, capturing the majesty and childlike wonder of a legendary undersea kingdom inhabited by an ancient, advanced race. It is vast powerful and full of otherworldly technology that evokes an ancient bygone era but feels like a set piece from a science fiction film at the very same time even though it's set in the fictional marvel universe it's so charming that as a reader and especially me as a young kid couldn't help but wonder could it uh, could this be possible could it be that somewhere deep beneath the vast oceans there might be a sunken world created by an advanced civilization that vanished from the surface of the earth in an age long before our own civilization began to rise. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the greatest archaeological legends, one of the greatest archaeological legend of our legends of our lifetime, or any lifetime. Now, this is a vast subject, and even though I'd love to call this a deep dive especially because it's bcc jet ski summer because there's just so much stuff out there it's impossible to include it all in in one episode so this will be more of a nice warm dip but by the end of this installment of high strangeness we hope that you and riley will have a clear snapshot in your mind of the legend of atlantis 
Although writings of ancient lands where gods dwelled existed well before the 4th century BCE, the legend of Atlantis, or at least the name Atlantis, was seemingly coined by Greek philosopher and teacher Aristocles of Athens, better known to the world as Plato. Although he was not an occultist himself, much of Plato's philosophy would go on to inform ancient Greek occultists and esoterics for centuries to come. It is easy to see why. Plato taught that on the other side of the material world we perceive with our five senses, Plato called it the becoming, was the realm of ideal eternal patterns known as the being, a.k.a. the spiritual realm. Love that. One of the major recurring themes in Plato's work was the exploration of what made an ideal society and government, which is the basis of his famous dialogue, The Republic. Atlantis, which would eventually become a major set piece of esoteric philosophy, makes two appearances in Plato's works, in his dialogues Timaeus and Critias. The very first mention of Atlantis is in Plato's Timaeus, written in 360 BCE. Timaeus, or Timaeus, is a dialogue between the philosopher Socrates, Plato's mentor, the philosopher Timaeus of Lorki, and two politicians, Critias and Homocrates. Now, I'm just sidebar, guys. If I fuck up a, a you know pronunciation here, I think you're doing. I great. don't want to hear about it. I feel like I'm back in college. <laughs> I did take I, I did take a uh, classical Greek study in high school as a um, as a like solo class uh-huh. for extra credit, and uh, made me think about about sitting by myself learning about all this stuff. But uh, during a discussion about how great Athens is, one of the characters quotes the classical Greek statesman, lawmaker, and poet, Solon, who, after visiting Egypt in 580 BCE, so 200 years before, allegedly translated Egyptian records of a lost continent called Atlantis. It features Atlantis as the enemy of Athens and a threat to the ancient world. It also pinpoints the location of where the continent existed, out in the Atlantic Ocean, west of Greece, past the Pillars of Heracles, or the Strait of Gibraltar. Here's a quote from Timaeus. For it is related in our records how once upon a time your state stayed the course of a mighty host, which, starting from a distant point in the Atlantic Ocean, was insolently advancing to attack the whole of Europe and Asia to boot. For the ocean, uh, for the ocean there was at that time navigable, for in front of the mouth which you Greeks call, as you say, the pillar of Heracles, there lay an island which was larger than Libya and Asia together. And it was possible for the travelers of that island to cross from it to uh, the other islands and from the islands to the whole of the continent over against them which encompasses that veritable ocean. For all that we have here, lying within the mouth of which we speak, is evidently a haven having a narrow entrance, but that yonder is a real ocean, and the land surrounding it may most rightly be called, in the fullest and truest sense, a continent. Now, in this island of Atlantis, there lived a confederation of kings of great and marvelous power, which held sway over all the island and over many other islands also and parts of the continent. The second dialogue, Critias, recounts how the island of Atlantis attacked ancient Athens. Now, for some context, 
Plato was writing about a time period that was set roughly 9,000 years before his own time. So over 12,000 years ago for us. During this age, according to the story, the Atlantean Empire had conquered parts of Libya and Western Europe and enslaved its people. The Athenians had assembled a resistance and fought back against the evil empire. Uh, is this ringing any bells to my fellow Star Wars peeps? Mm -hmm. Athens manages to repel the attack, defeat the Atlantean Empire, and liberate everybody. Not long after its defeat, Atlantis is ultimately destroyed in an earthquake in a single day and night, judged by the gods for its hubris, and the whole continent floods and sinks into the Atlantic Ocean. Here's a passage from Critias. But afterwards, there occurred violent earthquakes and floods, and in a single day and night of misfortune, all your warlike men in a body sank into the earth, and the island of Atlantis in like manner disappeared in the depths of the sea, for which reason the sea in those parts is impassable and impenetrable, because there is a shoal of mud in the way, and this was caused by the subsidence of the island. It does kind of sound that they're trying to explain why one part of the oceans is a little, is a little muddy and hard to sail through. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Doesn't it? Because 9,000 years right, ago, right. just their best sailor I can't heard get by from there. a guy. Right, that's funny. But this funny. is the thing that's so wild about this. Like, so Socrates, Plato, well, Plato and Aristotle, his his student who's, you know, these guys, classical Greek, Greece. This is we're talking at a time that's like a little over two thousand years ago, mm -hmm. and we can barely. I mean, obviously there are historians that can do it, but I just think as a day to day people going about their business, it's so hard for us. Like two thousand years ago is a really long time, and just think about what has remained from that day. I mean, obviously we have some history, we have some uh, actual, you know, things that we can. What am I trying to say? Like artifacts. artifacts thank you. Yeah. But really, I mean, there's got to be so much that we don't know about 2,000 years ago. Absolutely. So imagine 2,000 years ago thinking about 9,000 years before that. Right. It's crazy. It's pretty much just oral history at that it's point. It's oral history. Yeah. And then they... Or written down and written passed down, down and lost. Text. A lot yeah. of the stuff text. will come from tablets right. and place, half-written texts that were half-lost. And so your piece... And old maps. But old maps comes into you, this you stuff. You have to too. remember, though, map. too, and this is a fair point, even like the Grimm's fairy tale, that was all orally passed down and not a word was missed in That's over amazing. a thousand pages of, of fairy tales and that was all orally passed down preserved word for word so it's possible i believe it to well, the preserve brothers Grimm, did the brothers grim right they wrote stuff down. yes but, but it was all like stories. there's there's an intro in there about how it was uh, preserved all those stories were preserved orally pretty much by one woman yeah wow yeah, i mean the power of memorization <laughs> that's right like, um so i've got a very fancy book here called the empires of atlantis the origins of ancient civilizations and mystery traditions throughout the ages by marco m vigato and in it, um, he describes... Uh, a lot of title. I know. Um, Pompous. There's, <laughs> I just wanted to get into a little bit before we dive in about how Plato described the continent looking. Okay. Uh, he says, the center of the island, this isn't a direct quote, but uh, the center of the island was occupied by a vast plain, which is said to have been the fairest of all plains and very fertile. Agriculture was exceptionally developed. The island possessed an abundant supply of fresh water through lakes, marshes, and rivers. It was covered in forests that were inhabited by a multitude of animals, including elephants, 
The abundance of black and red stones and the presence of hot water springs further suggest that Poseidonus must have been a volcanic island. It's uh, one of the islands named after Poseidon, who was also, uh, according to Plato, the god who ruled over uh, Athens, obviously. Yes. The vast plain that occupied the center of the island was smooth and even, of an oblong shape extending in one direction, 3,000 stadia, or 540 kilometers, or 336 miles, and in the other, another 2,000 stadia. To the north, a range of mountains sheltered the plain from the cold northern winds. These mountains were, according to Plato, celebrated for their number and size of beauty, far beyond any which can still exist. The rest of the island was lofty and precipitous, surrounded by mountains that descended towards the sea on all sides except to the south. So it kind of sounds like the Midwest of the U.S., like the Great Plains to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, mm. and then you have the ocean. Yeah. Um, it sounds very similar in that. Right. I guess and now just imagine that in concentric circles, like because it's yeah. always famously known for being, you know, circles and circles and... Mm. Um, yeah. Sounds Which, like a nice place. Sounds yeah. like a pretty pretty bitch in place. I don't know why everyone was so rude and warlike. I know. Well, we'll get into a little bit of that. Most historians believe that Plato's Atlantis was allegorical, a story created by Plato to show what happens when a society grows corrupt with power. In many ways, it was his Star Wars, a warning about how governments can turn to the dark side and the will of the people must keep the powerful in check. Aristotle, Plato's student, really believed that his mentor had created it as a fictional work. Others believed that the existence of Atlantis was historical fact. And in the past 100 years especially, and some change, it has become popular with crypto-archaeologists who argue, sometimes with very compelling evidence, that civilization on planet Earth is much older than we think, and that instead of culture evolving linearly, we are part of a great cycle of growth and destruction that has repeated itself over the past tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Some esoterics, and more specifically, theosophists, point to Atlantis as the origin of civilization as we know it itself. Now let's pause real quick here and talk about the Theosophical Society. It came up recently on the show. Uh, the Theosophical Society originally assembled, this was, we talked about them a little bit in yes, the Lemuria episode. Yeah. Uh, it originally assembled in New York City in 1875 on the heels of America's spiritualism movement. It was spearheaded by a Russian native and occultist named Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. Blavatsky's mission was basically to do away with the age-old practice of secret societies and spread occult wisdom and esoteric knowledge to the masses. Although she was a controversial figure herself, often accused of being a fraud, two of her books, Isis Unveiled and The Secret Doctrine, were huge hits and laid the foundation for esoteric thought for decades that followed. Theosophical Society subscribed to an idea that Atlantis was home to one of the original five root races we touched upon a few weeks ago in episode 210 Lemuria. Some theosophists see the continent of Atlantis as serving as the cradle of civilization, which offers an alternate take on human history and evolution, and at times is mired with a bit of icky revisionist history steeped in casual racism, in my humble opinion, where white people appear to be a present... Uh, appear to be present in, uh, in, in advanced civilizations of the distant past. 
But honestly, the less said about that stuff, the better. The point is that esoteric practices often look to Atlantis as a source of forgotten knowledge and wisdom where mastery of energy and occult sciences were achieved by ancient Atlantean sorcerers, perhaps bestowed to them by alien intelligence, perhaps even part extraterrestrial themselves. I mean, is that... that that's why we love this stuff. This Sorcerers. is why we're into mm-hmm. this. That, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Black magic, yeah. wizards. Yeah. Give me a give me a wizard Continue. alien. Yeah. It was believed that these ancient practices could still be unlocked and mastered by humans in the modern world. All of this seems to overlook the idea that Plato depicted Atlanteans as the bad guys. Well, Blavatsky says that the bad Atlanteans were subgenetic offspring that warred against Atlantean sorcerers. Uh, so there were good Atlanteans and bad Atlanteans, basically. Uh, she and other occultists like Rudolf Steiner, who wrote about Atlantis, who was the author of Atlantis and Lemuria, they kind of retconned the original works of Plato. <laughs> and honestly, this is me talking here. I know we're getting into all this esoteric stuff in just a moment, and Bryce has got some cool stuff, but that's how all of this really um felt to me all of this late 19th century early 20th century stuff feels like occultists uh taking burgeoning sci-fi fantasy ideas about humankind's potential in the late 18th century a bit of sumerian and greek mythology and retconning in them all into the antediluvian age of the old testament and 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 behaved now that it was official canonical history. So it makes me feel like if Tolkien had been writing about Middle Earth 50 years earlier, everyone would be working out a way to literally fit it into the history using the Christian Bible as a way in and then telling everyone we descended from elves. Wait, is that not the case? It could very well be, honestly. Oh. Because there was a lot of Bible history back in this day and a lot of occult history and mythology, but science fiction and fantasy as we know it was just really in its early stages, a lot of these cool ideas that would go on to be the basis for stuff like Stanley and Jack Kirby's Marvel Universe, instead of being written down as fiction, were made to fit into history and it rewrote the past. You know what I mean? That's how this feels to me. It's sort mm-hmm. of... and, and but, but these people were it was sort of new burgeoning religions that had this like ancient philosophy and sci-fi retrofuturism all baked into it. Yeah. yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And if you think about it, if you're growing up in that time and you're growing up in America and we're going to get into a figure like this, really your big work of sci-fi fantasy action is going to be the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. Cause it's got yeah. all that stuff in it, but you don't have you know, you don't even have H.G. Wells until or Jules Verne towards the end of the 18th century. You don't really have this sci- like sci-fi fantasy as we know it today is really a pretty young genre. Mm. So I think a lot of those early ideas and a lot of people who might have gone on to become sci-fi fantasy authors if they were born later were sort of taking these ideas and looking to the past and looking at ways of rethinking where we came from. You know, sure. Um, so one such author who retconned Plato and helped popularize the ancient myth of Atlantis was uh, one Ignatius Donnelly. Donnelly was a pretty interesting guy. He was born in 1831. He was the son of an Irish immigrant who settled in Philadelphia. Donnelly grew up to become a lawyer and eventually got into politics as a radical Republican, which meant something very different back in the, then than it does today. <laughs> very different. The political spectrum in those days was inverted, and a radical Republican was pretty much a left-wing liberal. 
you know, give or take some stuff here and there. Donnelly and his fellow radical Republicans fought for the total eradication of slavery and for women's suffrage. They opposed ex-Confederate soldiers holding political offices in the South after the Civil War. They fought for the right for freedmen and freed slaves and people of color to have the right to vote and rallied against corruption in politics, voting, and biased and false reporting in the news. Although he would eventually become a Democrat, then an independent, and finally a populist, everything was a political upheaval back in those days, Donnelly was an early civil rights activist, and he also got into some esoteric shit. As we do. In 1882, Donnelly published a book called Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. (laughs) It's in this book that Donnelly proposes a few ideas that will stick with the Atlantis was a real place camp. Donnelly thought Atlantis existed in the period between the fall of man in the Garden of Eden up to the great biblical flood, where the story of Noah's Ark comes from. In fact, Donnelly suggests that it was actually the very flood which wiped out uh, that that involved Noah that wiped out Atlantis. Its survivors would go on to establish what became both the Mayan and Egyptian cultures, hence why they share such similar affection for pyramids and similar mythology. And in 1889, he published another book called Ragnarok, The Age of Fire and Gravel, which went further on to explain that the great biblical flood and the subsequent destruction of Atlantis was caused by a comet that collided with the Earth. I mean, to your point, that's a very fucking George R. R. Martinez title. Ragnarok, the Age of Fire yeah, and Gravel. These guys would yeah, have been yeah. the, the, the he, That's good. They're the R. R. Mar- George R. R. Martins of their in Tolkien of they're their like, time. Oh, that's good. That's oh, really oh, good. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but they're but they're applying it to actual history and biblical history yeah. instead of writing it as fiction. And then people like Madame Blavatsky come and other contemporaries and they all start feeding off each other mm-hmm. and suddenly you have yeah, it's new, a bad it's a bad loop. It, yeah. Well, and some of it's fun, but the, but it's, it's like the sci-fi biblical cinematic universe. Yes, and it kicks building. off new occult uh, religions and new cults and clubs, and mm. you know these guys are kind of like early Elron Hubbard's creating Scientology. Like it's everything's shifting around this time in mm-hmm. history. Also, Bryce, you'll appreciate this. Donnelly was an early adapter and author on the subject of Francis Bacon being the true author of Shakespeare's work. Oh, good. Okay. He expounded on in a book that he wrote called The Great Cryptogram. Okay. Good. I knew I liked him. Although he was criticized and ostracized by the academic world and labeled as a crank and pseudoscientist, we can thank Donnelly for thinking outside the box and fighting for civil rights. And Donnelly's idea that some great geological event is responsible for the destruction of Atlantis is still upheld by crypto archaeologists today. Um, I kind of want to learn more about this guy. I'm sure there's probably bad things about him too. Yeah, but at least he, but he, he was he had the right. He did some good stuff. like a good moral compass. Yeah, yeah. he was like you know, I he like was, dudes like that. He was yeah. too he was too lev- he was too radical for Lincoln. <laughs> there was shit that he wanted to do that Lincoln when he was in Congress when Lincoln was like that's yeah. a little too far. He's a man, ahead. <laughs> like, He's a man right. ahead of his time. He like excommunicated it. from the Catholic Church. Yeah. He was just like fuck this. He'd cool. be a Patreon member. Yeah, he oh, struck out sure. on his own. <laughs> for sure. Uh, in the book Fingerprints of the Gods, author Graham Hancock wrestles with the fact that there is zero evidence of a lost continent the size Plato described in the Atlantic Ocean or in the Indian Ocean. But he puts forth the theory that Atlantis may be hiding in plain sight. We just need to direct our eyes to the South Pole. Hancock suggests that a cataclysmic shift in the Earth's crust around 12,000 years ago may have relocated Atlantis to the South Pole, where it was covered in ice, becoming the continent we know today as Antarctica. Antarctica. 
Yeah. Riley, what do you, what's that yeah. look on your face? I Well, in Fingerprints of the Gods, there's, they find, they have like, it starts with them finding these old medieval maps that are copied from even older maps. Uh-huh. And it seems to show the continent of Antarctica before there was ice on it. Sure. All right. With like I mean, four seasons yeah. and trees. I mean, with the, yeah, the amount that the climate's changed over Listen. tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What, yeah. what do Maybe. magnetic poles do? They reverse when inflicted by an outside agent. Don't get me started on pull shifts, Riley. Okay, I love a good pull shift theory. Michael, like the next guy, and I think there's a strong argument to be made that our son has a sister star. We have a son? That our Why son... haven't I met him? No, listen. <laughs> Why are you keeping me away from our son, Bryce? There's a strong argument to be made that our son has a sister star, okay? And is part of a binary star system. Most stars are part of a binary star system. And pole shifts do, in fact, occur on planet Earth and have since its primordial beginnings. But that's discussion for another episode. Well, wait, wait, it... hold on. When you say binary star system, what do you? What okay, is this, a this sister is star. So wait, basically, how... I'm gonna t- I'm break it down for you right okay. now. Okay. That we so as Earth rotates around the sun, mm-hmm. the sun is actually moving through an orbit through space as sure. well. Yeah. In orbit sort of a with a dual star, a sister star, and as their orbits come closer together. Uh-huh. They actually Bullshit. interwine and they do the, they do a little like circle like a dosi do around each other before being sent back out into the outer reaches of space. Did you know that Sirius B is a sister star? It has a twin star, and the Dogon tribe of Africa knew about it before our astronomers. That's Let's cool. So wait a minute, I want to get into yes. this. But then, do we know about our sister well, star? Well, I'm about to tell you something. Out? Some Harvard astronomers have a wild new theory that the sun uh-huh. used to have a companion star, making our solar system a binary one during uh-huh. its ancient history. And there's also a theory that we still do have a binary sister mm-hmm. star, and it's all part of the procession of the zodiac in the night sky. It has a lot to do with the wobble of the Earth and why the Earth wobbles, uh-huh. because they think it's part of the gravitational pull that's part of the larger orbit with our binary star. Okay. Our binary star system. So, Didn't you know you are going to be learning about our sister star tonight, did you? So, <laughs> remember earlier when I said that a lot of this stuff comes down to this idea that societies have like ri- ro- ro- have grown and been destroyed, created and destroyed right. over these cycles of time. Yes. Well, there's this thought that that's all related to the movement of our uh, binary star system. Okay. So this theory is actually the basis of the cyclical construction destruction of human culture. Some people think that we are still in a binary solar system, and um, and the further we are from our sister sun, the further away we are from our highest points of civilization. Like in orbit, we cycle from golden age to silver age to bronze age to iron age, back to bronze age to silver age, and finally back to the golden age. When our sun is closest to its sister star, we are in the golden age. When we are furthest from it, we are in the iron age. Mm-hmm. And guess where we are right now? The plastic age. We are in the iron age. Yeah. We're in the we are in we're basically living in the dark night of the soul. We are we're sort of coming we are starting Sounds to come right, out right? of the furthest point away from our sister star, but these periods are all broken up into thousands of the Which years. Which is why our astronomers can't see it. And the procession of but the procession of the um of equinoxes. The, the equinoxes and, uh-huh. and the astrological charts are markers of how close we're getting to 
our sister star. Right. This is the idea. This is called the idea of the Great Year or the Kali Yuga. It's widely explored in much greater detail in this book, The Empires of Atlantis. Also, there's a very fun YouTube video that I'm going to find that's narrated by James Earl Jones that explains all of this shit, and it's That'll awesome. Help. I love that. It's great. Great. That sounds fun. Yeah, I, I will send I that to like you, and I'll put it in the that, show notes. Then the You'll dig it. You'll well, dig it, dude. It's cool. It's cool shit. There is something to it. I, I do like it, too. But and, is there uh, a star we can actually point to in the sky well, and it say might be a that dark one? It might be it, a burnt out star and we wouldn't be able to see it, right? Uh, it might be a white dwarf star, which is burned out and our cameras haven't detected it. I don't know if... I don't I'm know not if, really sure. I don't that? know if there's like... It's got to be this star that we're, we're paired with. Um, uh-huh. the video that YouTube video that I watched years ago might talk about that, and I just can't remember. This is sort of we we went off on a little tangent here, and this that's isn't okay. But it's, that we were it's to important present. to know that that maybe civilizations rise and fall. Now, look, I love well, yes, definitely civilizations but then, but then rise and fall. No, that but we like, don't know about it. The, that we don't know it. about it. Okay, that, I'm that's gonna, I'm gonna go along with it. Keep going. Yes, yes, I love the Star Wars analogy and this idea of a great cycle. Read Lost Star of Myth and Time by Walter Crittenden. I propose references out. <laughs> I propose that Plato knew about the Great Cycle, just like he knew about the secret history of Atlantis. So what did he know and why? Let's get into it. I'm just picturing when Riley uh, scores this episode, anytime we bring up the Kali Yuga or the Great Year, he's going to go, wah, wah. <laughs> No, <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> no, don't no, do that no. at all. I'm just gonna, it's going to be really It's going to be it's fucking solar, man. Yeah. In her book, America Before Man, Elizabeth Chesley Beatty echoes your earlier point, Michael. In referring to the legend of Atlantis, she says, quote, it's not surprising that very little satisfactory evidence has been found since Atlantis, if it ever existed at all, disappeared long before the memory of mankind. And at the rate of normal movements of land, it would have required millions of years for so large an island to subside into the depths of the sea. Solid point, right? making it hard to fathom such a vast continent seeking into the ocean in a day and a night, 24 hours. But that should give us a hint, right? A clue. Plato was a smart man and he knew, or better yet, he was instructed to hide all kinds of esoteric knowledge within the story of Atlantis using the language of symbols. As Manly P. Hall, author of Secret Teaching of All Ages points out, quote, From a careful consideration of Plato's description of Atlantis, it is evident that the story should not be regarded as wholly historical, but rather as both allegorical and historical. Plato's Atlantis symbolizes the threefold nature of both the universe and the human body. The ten kings of Atlantis are the tetractus, or numbers which are born as five pairs of opposites. If Atlantis be considered as the archetypal sphere, then its immersion signifies the descent of rational organized consciousness into the illusionary impermanent realm of irrational mortal ignorance. Both the sinking of Atlantis and the biblical story of the fall of man signify spiritual involution, a prerequisite to conscious evolution. And I love this stuff because it's basically a way of saying, somebody's got to get this party started right. How can you ever lift the veil if the curtain ever got dropped down in the first place? Unless we forget, about the most important artifact and symbol on I'm still trying to follow just that go one. with it it's the a great cool continent analogy of Atlantis the gigantic mountain in the center that touched the ether the axle mountain of the world or axis mundi sacred amongst many cultures all cultures is symbolic of the head or as I like to think about it never not the center Hall writes 
In the midst of the central island of Atlantis was a lofty mountain which cast a shadow 5,000 stadia in extent and whose summit stood the temple of the gods, gave rise to the stories of Olympus, Meru, and Asgard. It was called the City of the Golden Gates, the capital of Atlantis is the one now preserved among numerous religions as the city of the gods or the holy city. Yet make no mistake, Hall stresses that, quote, this does not mean to imply that Atlantis is purely mythological, but it does overcome the most serious obstacle to acceptance of the Atlantis theory, namely the fantastic accounts of its origin, size, and appearance, and date of destruction, 9600 BC. Which I think is great because now we can move past all this stuff, all the dates and the times and the locations and all that stuff that doesn't make sense or that we just can't verify. So throw out all that, throw out any of the... Any yes. of the specifics, any new maps, See, this is where people we're gonna find. But this is where yeah. he and I, this is where Bryce and I might argue about this. Like Plato's, like no, it's in the Atlantic Ocean. But people, but in the late eight, in the late eighteenth century and early nineteen hundreds, or sorry, late nineteenth century, I right. said eighteenth century. That's a just while filler ago for his symbolism. Yeah, I okay. gotta say, this is where you got me back on board. Okay, that's filler for his symbolism. Now, here's something you may have not known. Plato was initiated into the mystery arts inside the Great Pyramid of Egypt by the high priests themselves. Really? Yes. So was he? Perhaps. Yes, he was. Cool. Look it up. So perhaps as repayment. Wait, that's your job. Well, he was. He's saying. I promise you, he was. He is saying. Plato's initiation. It's a great play. They were all in the mystery schools. Perhaps as a repayment to those who initiated him, he was assigned a twofold task. Number one, tell of our ancestral progenitors, the great Atlanteans. And number two, disseminate divine knowledge through symbolism and allegory. And once we can begin to distinguish between the language of symbols and the language of written history, only then can we decipher Plato's great dialogue. After which, we're left with a most profound question indeed. Was the religious, philosophic, and scientific knowledge possessed by the priestcraft of antiquity secured or taken out of Atlantis? In other words, let's assume for a second that there has been in the past great cycles of rising civilizations and falling civilizations that we know very little, if nothing, about. And maybe let's assume that there are those who are chosen to keep record. Knowing the end was near, did the high priests of Atlantis smuggle out the sacred knowledge in an attempt to preserve it? Were they helped? I just want to interject something here to help this idea of what we're talking about, like these ancient civilizations that have been wiped out. Like, there's... There's some proof, there's not proof, but there's evidence that the Sphinx was actually built in a time when there was water in mm-hmm. before yeah, it was a desert because there's yeah. signs of erosion. They also yeah, think... Yeah, that's the work of Shock, uh, Robert Shock and John, um, the, the mystery of the magic, magical Egypt. And they also mm. talk about how they think that Shock, yeah. the Sphinx was originally a lion and then the face was carved in a much later date. Oh. But if you go back and do the math, when there, when that area would not have been a desert in Egypt, it was thousands and thousands of years before classical Egyptian society was around. Hmm. So they're saying this thing may have been left over from a time when there was an advanced civilization that got wiped out from some cataclysmic advanced yeah. civilization, and then right. that as it, over thousands of years society built back up they found this thing and they were like okay well this is obviously uh, an important site and they sort of like 
build it's back build up. Off it. They build. They build off. They it. did a yes and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm reminded of another story about <laughs> they smuggling. They yes ended the sphinx. They yes yeah. and built pyramids. Exactly. <laughs> the and was the pyramid. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if cataclysm was imminent, Michael, what would you grab? Your toys, your comics. Um. Well, this is a choice that I hope I never have to make. Mm-hmm. I will say toys because comics are mostly digitized now. So if I really wanted to read them again later, I could. <laughs> Riley, what are you grabbing? My uh, my Les Paul. Okay. Man. Well, I love this idea about smuggling out your treasures, right? Uh, the Knights Templar, under persecution from King Philip IV, snuck out the holiest treasures of Christendom from the Temple Mount and escaped to Scotland and possibly even the New World. So let's explore further. This idea that perhaps the Atlanteans did in fact exist. What's the holiest treasure? The 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 Ark Grail? of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, and the the Sacred Menorah. Wow, okay, this just all connects. That was important. Well, that, that that that's different. That's just that's just another story of smuggling out treasure. But the the true <laughs> treasure, as we'll see, is not treasure. It's knowledge. I, I that's told right. you, yeah. Atlantis kind of fried our brains. This no, week. it's okay. Let's <laughs> let's keep you guys going. Are just some, no, some you're good. It's good. It's good. Let's explore dudes. further the idea that the Atlanteans were real and that they knew their great civilization was going to be buried under the sea. That it was just a matter of time. Sort and of so, like. No. That's right. And the Kryptonians. And so yeah. like Jor-El, who sends forth Kal-El to mankind as a last hope, so too did the high priests do that. of the sacred feather set sail in their most seaworthy crafts and sailed in all directions to disseminate whatever they could to save not only their culture, but to advance others as well. More than culture was the true treasure they were sailing with, the divine knowledge of who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. And so let's examine some evidence that suggests this could have been the case. Atlantean sun worship has been perpetuated in ritual and ceremonies of both Christianity and pagandom. The symbols of great Atlantis are the cross and the serpent and can be found throughout virtually all cultures. In Central America, the feathered snake or plumed serpent was applied to Quetzalcoatl as well as the Central American initiate Kukul Khan. From the secret teachings of all ages, quote, the mythologies of many nations contain accounts of gods who came out of the sea. Certain shamans among the American Indians tell of holy men dressed in bird feathers and wampum who rose out of the blue waters and instructed them in the arts and crafts. The Chaldeans. <laughs> Everyone, let's get around, so grab sick. some macaroni yeah. <laughs> and some glitter and glue. But what does this more? great sea bird man come to teach us? The Chaldeans from early Babylonia tell of Oannes, a partly amphibious creature who came out of the sea and taught the people to read, write, study the stars, and establish a form of government. Among the Mayas, it's said that Quetzalcoatl came Quetzalcoatl. out. Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl, however you want to say it, came out That's of the sea, <laughs> instructed the people in the essentials of civilization, civilization, and then rode back out again on a magic raft made of fucking serpents. They also mm-hmm. think that Quetzalcoatl might have been a comet. I mean, we're hitting on some core jet ski summer shit right now, you yep. guys. Yep. This is what the Club Scouts want. They came for the Bigfoot, but they're staying for the high water-related strangeness. Whoa, it's all come full circle. Just like the Great Year! Could it have been Atlantean priests that came out of the water? That is so pitted. So deeply pitted. This, like... <laughs> Dude coming out and he's like, hey, I'm here to teach you about yeah. like Imagine them arriving before shore, putting on their riot. wampum feathers and making a big entrance. I Guys, love at it. the it's end of this so episode, cool. one of us will be revealed to be an Atlantean sorcerer. Manly Hall continues, quote, All 
that primitive man remembered of the Atlanteans was the glory of their golden ornaments, the <laughs> transcendency of their wisdom, and the sanctity of their symbols, the cross and the serpent. That they came in ships was soon forgotten, for untutored minds considered even boats as supernatural. Hmm. What do you guys think about this idea of seeing a ship and not being able to perceive it for what it I've is? I've heard about this. This is the idea that I, th I, I had heard, and I don't know what this phenomenon is called off the top of my head, yeah. but literally when like uh, Cortez's ships landed, yeah. the the native people like literally could not see the ships well they saw something until they were like close to shore because their brain was like I, they'd never seen a sailing their vessel brain before. computer didn't know how to right so they process had, it. so yeah. they perceived yeah. it no as context. supernatural think mm. of arthur c clark's third law any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable so wait a minute magic are mm -hmm. ufos exactly. just boats from space yeah they're space maybe, boats, dude. maybe we can't perceive what the ufo is and we it comes off as some light vehicle sure. some shimmering metal light vehicle i think that makes when sense. maybe it's not that at all yeah there is the archaeological conundrum of why I'll say that again. There is the no, I'm not laughing at that. There is uh, this the, whole thing is a conundrum. Oh, there <laughs> is the archaeological conundrum of why all cultures all around the globe are erecting pyramids. And please don't tell me that it was a testament to humanity's warmth of showcasing their importance. I don't want to hear that. Hall goes on to say, quote, wherever the Atlantean proselyted, they erected pyramids and temples patterned after the great no, proselyted. What's proselyted? I don't know the same thing. Proselytize. Uh, uh, preach. Preach from or, huh. or give instruction to. Okay. Okay, cool. Wherever they proselyted, they erected pyramids and temples patterned after the great sanctuary in the city of the Golden Gates. Such is the origin of the pyramids of Egypt, Mexico, and Central America. The mounds in Normandy and Britain, as well as those of the American Indians, are remnants of a similar culture. Now look, I just want to be clear here, this is not another example of the white man sprinkling his history throughout time. This mm -hmm. is coming from Manly Hall, founder of the Philosophical Research Society, one of the largest collections of ancient texts and esoteric and occult knowledge in the world. Okay, if you don't know who he is, look him up. Another point. We don't even know if the Atlanteans were from Earth. They could have been intergalactic colonizers for all we know. I mean, some know. people think they were hybrids. Hall writes, In the midst of the Atlantean program of world colonization and conversion, the cataclysms which sank Atlantis began, the initiate priest of the sacred feather, who promised to come back to their missionary settlements, never returned. And after the lapse of centuries, tradition preserved only a fantastic accounts of gods who came from a place where the sea is now. Have you ever heard of the term cargo cult? No, but it mm -hmm. sounds like a so it's this idea Star that Wars thing again. A, a American delivering goods or anybody delivering goods or missionary services. They arrive along these Pacific Islander villagers and they see that these cargo planes are disseminating goods and then they oh. leave. And so they this is the build, gods must be crazy. They build ah. the they build cargo planes made out of banana leaves and they pretend to like call radio receivers on their coconuts because they think that if they do the correct ritual and perform it properly, goods will be come oh, back to them. Oh, interesting. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe yeah. this is the same it's type like of phenomenon. causation, correlation, sort of human behavior thing. That's right. Yeah. Manley Hall leaves us with this final thought. Before Atlantis sank, its spiritually illumined initiates who realized that their land was doomed because it had departed from the path of light, withdrew from the ill-fated continent carrying with them the sacred and secret doctrine. These Atlanteans established themselves in Egypt, where they became its first divine rulers. 
nearly all of the great cosmological myths forming the foundation of the various sacred books of the world are based upon the Atlantean mystery rituals. And that's it. So it's... <laughs> Case <laughs> closed. It. Case closed. It's not just an island. It's more than that. Well, it's a way of life. I guess if I'm listening to this at home, what is, is it an island? Is it literally an island where literal ancient priests came from after their land was destroyed by earthquake, comet, or flood? Yep, that's the great question, right? So now you have to have that play in your mind. Is that how it took place? Or I like to think... You know, that doesn't make sen- much sense either because we might know about it. Perhaps there is some type of extraterrestrial intervention here, you know, uh, gatekeeping these records and and disseminating again amongst, amongst initiates of the world, like Kuku Khan, Quetzalcoatl, uh, you name it. However you want to look at it. Potato. That's how it's pronounced. And they, become, and they become the divine initiates and they start disseminating the knowledge that they learned about sisters, Sirius, uh, Sirius B's sister star, about uh-huh. astronomy, astrology, about the great cycle of time right. that wipes away so this civilizations is, we're also and this Earth. to Mayan calendar. All yeah, oh it, yeah. All, yeah. It's all antediluvian. And, and Donnelly yeah. actually was with Hall, and I think preceded Hall. When was Manly P. Hall writing? In the tw- early twenties. So he was yeah. he was in the late eighteen mid to late eighteen hundreds. He was like all he he thought that the Atlanteans spread did the same thing. So I think Manly Hall is also borrowing from Donnelly as well. He mentioned Donnelly. Yeah. Donnelly says they went to Central America and mm-hmm. they went to Egypt, and that's well. And so Don, they Don, they went all around. Donnelly. The thing I have with problem with Donnelly is he's like this happened right around the well, Garden of Eden thing. And it, but and no, he, no 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 no. No, not around the Garden of Eden, in between. In between. In fact, he's saying it was... So the antediluvian period mm. specifically is the period in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. No, I know. Between, I get that. Well, people listening may not know. No, I between, don't know. Yeah. Between the fall of man at the Garden of Eden, yeah. whatever, whether that was literal or not, right. up to the flood. So in that period in the book of Genesis, there's all this stuff about who begat who, who begat... And like how... The other thing that's about that comes into all and this somewhere stuff somewhere in the world the Atlanteans were living out their high civilized society. Yes, in in this period, no, I, don't, I don't buy in that. This t- in this time period, <laughs> Why I'm, not? I'm saying the story here is that uh-huh. is that <laughs> I didn't think, get to finish my point. Well, it's okay, know, we got the gist. We yeah. got the gist. But here's why, the, why don't you buy that? Here's what I here's what it is. the The symbol is is Atlantis didn't exist. This is a time as old as. A tale as old as time, civilizations rise and fall. And there yeah. is no Atlantis. Atlantis is the Earth. Yeah. Atlantis is you. It's the a state of mind. Yeah. Right? We are in Atlantis now. Yeah. So it's allegorical. The Earth yeah. goes through great cataclysmic changes sure. that, that fuck everything up. Right. Everything up. Yeah. And we're going to get ours too someday. Mm. And this great cycle will continue and civilized man will fall and rise again. And we see clues and evidence of it all the time on the ocean floor. And we know nothing about it. Yeah. Nothing. And history is scrambling, scrambling to make up the margins. And Atlantis is like sort of an... A metaphor is an and idea. an allegory well, but here's for the, thing, because the pa- a passage of time This is the whole problem with Atlantis, because there are still people who are like, nope, Plato said it was a place, and we've got to find it, and if we can't find it, then it means that it didn't exist. What right, Bryce but is there like, are but also that's... people that like think that the Earth is flat on top of a giant turtle, so... Yes. Right. You know, there's people that think a lot of but things. But this, this whole thing, what we're getting into right now, is the sort of 
problem and fun with Atlantis because we really don't know what the fuck it is or if it, if it's allegorical or if it's literal. Or I think both. it could be both. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's def- I mean, we're we are also we might be Atlantis because yeah, this sure. is going to end up underwater. Sure, absolutely. So maybe absolutely. it's just a you know like you know it's a prehistory, but it's or yeah. a story, a warning. Yeah, uh, and like you're saying, like an idea, a lesson, and then also a real place, right? Because there were ancient societies that yeah. obviously had great wisdom. We've gotten to where we are today. I, I like this whole rise and fall. When you guys start getting into like the rise and fall of human society, mirrors this like star system. I'm like, eh, oh yeah, yeah, we're not that special and totally. important like I, I think the rise and fall of our societies like well mirrors our own behavior but they also talk about how like in this stuff which this is not going to help convince you but as we're moving through the universe on this great orbit we're literally passing through different cosmic rays that affect our state of mind and our state of being and radiation is hitting the earth at different levels and different fre- frequencies that fuck sure. up the way that we behave and no, the way that's that we true. feel i mean we're being bombarded by yeah. death at all times mm-hmm. but and like burning ourselves alive, breathing oxygen. But like, I mean, I just, when it starts getting into that kind of like explaining away human patterns based on cosmic significance, I'm always like, nah, I'm out. Yeah. You know, man, I gotta, I, feel- I gotta tell you, you, if you look more into this Kali Yuga shit, it's pretty fucking rad. You know what? It's I, really I mean, rad. it's cool. It, it's don't get me wrong. It's super cool. Like yeah. it's something that I would like to like make a doom metal album about the return of the second sun or like whatever. But do I like actually think that 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 is what is like governing the rise and fall of society. Like, mm-hmm, no, totally. yep. I, I really don't. I think we are governing the rise and, and eminent. Fall well, I don't think it's society. governance so much as it's correlation and there's a difference. It's right. like weather. It's weather. Yeah. It's a great cycle it's cosmic of time, weather, you know, it's cycles and cosmic it, weather. It's not, it's not that the stars dictate what happens to us here and vice versa, but right. there's a correlation. There's a symbiosis with literally the way that we're moving in orbit through space and what what happens, that the, there is it, it there's a sacred geometry to it, I guess. There's definitely a sacred geometry to like the movement of space, and we are like you know. I really we should we should go back and tell people to get just super fucking high before they listen to this episode. <laughs> Spark well, them if you my got Atlantean them. story has the the intervening of extraterrestrial help. You know, it it has taking the initiate priests off off earth perhaps while these cataclysms occur <laughs> there is and then, something for everybody yeah, in there's Atlantis a little bit for everybody the point is is you can have whatever atlantis you want the idea is the same we know nothing about where we come from all we hear, have is our oral tradition and our ancient texts that tell us a lot of them cultures that oftentimes as i pointed out god seemed to come out of the sea mm-hmm. and point us to the stars and point us in the way of the crafts and the mysteries and the arts and how to till the soil. And then they go back into the sea. Are those Atlanteans or are those fucking UFOs going back under the ocean with initiate priests? I don't know, but but there's they're telling this story because it's important because there's a germ of truth in it, you know? Right. And and there and that's why all cultures all over the world are telling this story because this is where we come from. So Riley, we we put it to you. Atlantis bullshit or believe it i mean neither (laughs) but that's the way it is guess what atlantis is sort of the schrodinger's cat of all this shit it is both dead and alive at the same time right i mean i i love it i love thinking about it it's great like it's it's a and i do i definitely land more on the allegorical like a sort of 
it's a way of condensing tens of thousands of years of human history that we could never really truly uncover all the way into ideas that are useful to society from ancient times and even up until now about you know like you said like mistakes that can be made and 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 ways of of being and dealing and i'm you know it's 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 very fun i i think it was allegorical for plato in the time that tied into his themes of corrupt societies will collapse and it was a teaching tool that later more recently in the late 19th century as things were changing and a like agricultural society is giving way to um in the new industrial age mm-hmm. and people were looking around and going hmm maybe there's more to the what we believe to be our own biblical history they started looking back to some of these older stories some of these other cultures that talked about these ancient civilizations and went let's write some new mythologies and then that's what sort of kicked off the esoteric things like the theosophist societies and new occult thinkings because around that they're the retconners because around that time was when everyone started going let's ditch the bible let's ditch these old systems and let's go back and do some old weird magic shit and see if we get better results because you know you know it had been two thousand years and christ hadn't returned you know what i mean like the you know what i mean (laughs) yeah like i think they were starting to go let's let's start Re- let's start rethinking things. Well, so many people and have then the these old these th- old stories start to come to to life in new ways and have new meanings. And most of them were allegorical in that, but in a different way. Now it's being applied to not society as a whole, but to the human spirit, the human and human potential. That was my problem with the Bible. All the magic was dormant. Everything that was magic. That's what was I su- asked all the time. I was like, everything. why aren't we talking to angels anymore? Yeah, all the supernatural shit happened in the past, and yet they're, they're like, you're like, well, yeah. it doesn't happen now. Oh, that's what the Lutheran and Catholic schools tell you. No, no, it's all those, no, no, all that stuff. No, we did only that happen back then. I say yeah. bullshit. Religiosity is happening all the time, everywhere yeah, around us. That's yeah, true. That's, that's some burning bushes. I have a better yeah. relationship with God now than I did when I was growing up in the Presbyterian <laughs> Church. All right, everybody. Well, that was fun. Crazy episode. What a. Um, wait a minute. Whoa. What, did you guys hear that? Yeah. What? Hey guys, Bryce Johnson here. I was just about to hop in the shower and I couldn't stop thinking about, yeah, you guessed it, Atlantis. And, uh, you know, I felt, I just felt like I didn't sort of land my idea. And it kind of came to me. I've, I've got it. At least I think I've got it. So one of my favorite quotes is from Terrence McKenna. And it's, history is the shockwave of eschatology. And uh, you're probably wondering what the hell that means. Eschatology is the study of end times and the apocalypse and stuff like that, right? Like Atlantis faced. And uh, what he's saying there is that things that happen in the future or that are determined to happen throughout the end of time, we can feel those reverberations throughout history. And perhaps those are the signals we're picking up on uh, as you know, humans living in this world today, the, the new Jerusalem here in America where we can celebrate what we want, worship how we please whatsoever. Uh, so perhaps we're the new Atlantis and we're facing destruction unless we don't change our ways, which is what Michael started the story with. Uh, that's it. I'm going to hop back in the shower here. Uh, thanks for listening to Jet Ski Summer. We had so much fun making it. Uh, love the hell out of you guys. Tay, come on. Let's go, honey. 
All right, everybody. Uh, that is wrapping up our jet ski summer. Uh, do us a favor, send us your listener files. Write to us at Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. Shop Amazon with us through us when you click our Amazon storefront links in our show notes or bios on social media. Finally, if you want one last taste of BCC Jet Ski Summer, join us over on our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, where a $5 monthly pledge gets you three exclusive bonus episodes every month. As for me, follow me on Instagram at McMills. Listen to my other podcasts, Slate Your Name, gearing up for season two later this fall. Follow at Slate Your Name Podcast on Instagram for updates. And don't forget to vote for us in the Paranormality Mag competition voting end September 11th. What do you got? Find me on Instagram at Mr. Bryce Johnson, Twitter at Bryce O. Johnson. Uh, give us a vote. Yeah, give us a vote. Come on. It's free. It takes two seconds. Also, I'm Beastrone on instagram perfect all right guys it's done summer's over we'll see you back here in two weeks with a brand new episode and a brand new era of bigfoot collectors club until then good night and go get regressed Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash bigfootcollectorsclub. This is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. 
Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.